Hey everyone, welcome back to my First Time Stories podcast. I'm Janet Mbogwa. I'm a media personality, founder of Inuadada Foundation, author of My First Time, and I am a social justice advocate. Welcome to my First Time Stories podcast, where we're pushing for menstrual justice one story at a time. Half a billion women and girls around the world lack access to adequately manage their menstrual health. And because of that, we're making a case for menstrual justice through this podcast. With these amplified voices, we can make a difference in Kenya, where I'm from, and around the world. In today's episode, we hear from Niati and her mother Madhvi. Madhvi is a menstrual champion who has made incredible progress in making sure that menstrual reusable products are made accessible to underserved girls in parts of Kenya. Here, she talks with her daughter on my podcast about the importance of the intergenerational conversation on menstrual health, as well as how we can collectively push for menstrual justice. Here is our conversation. My first time was scary. A relief. Awkward. My first First time. time. My first time. My first time. Madhvi, your story. So, Janet, my story wasn't that interesting. It was pretty placid because I didn't used to live with my parents. And so one day my aunt just sat me down on a weekday to say a very brief conversation to say, you'll bleed, you'll need pants, more or less, just as simple as that. And when I first did get my period, I happened to be at home with my parents uh, because it was during the holiday. And again, it was very brief. My mom just handed me the pads and she said, you'll need this until you stop bleeding. And so there was no conversation about it. My older sister and I did not have a dialogue. In fact, I didn't know she was even on a period. Obviously, she was, but we didn't know. And so that was just the way it was. There was nothing more to it. But I do remember something that when I was 18, when I went to university, I actually did not get my period for six months. And at that time, although I did not overthink it, now when I look back, I I, I know that I couldn't speak to my sister. I couldn't speak to my mother. I couldn't speak to a friend. I couldn't even go to the doctor just because it was in my head that it was an inappropriate talk. So I couldn't seek help just because of what was already in my mindset. So I'm hoping things change now. Yati, your story. I already knew about periods because of my mom's work. And sometimes I go with her to workshops and I speak to the girls. Even though I had not had my period, I chose to do my grade 5 project on my first period. I made a short movie to help the girls who were of a similar age. I included information of what a girl could expect on her first period. I also made my first period kit. When I was in grade 6, I got my first period at school. I had seen some stains on my underwear. I was not sure what it really was, so as soon as I got home, I showed my mom, and yeah, it was my first period. I used a thin reusable pad and practiced how to put it on and take it off. My little sister was more excited than me. I still remember the date, 5th of November. It was a few days before Diwali, and it was the day we prayed to Goddess Lakshmi. My sister and I had just got ready in our Indian clothes when my mom and my dad took me to a side for a talk. They told me that in our culture, the belief is that we do not pray or touch the idols when we are on our period. I was so confused. I never knew this. They said that girls and women are considered dirty during their period. 
I thought this is not fair at all. My mom and dad asked me what I thought, and if I still wanted to participate in the prayer prayers, I could. I decided to do the prayers. I also did not think having period is being dirty. I think we're going to do our first round of applause on this podcast. Niati, that was so beautiful. Thank you. I kind of welled up a little bit, and I can't imagine the kind of pride your mom has when she looks at you do that. And, you know, Madhvi, this is a testament to your own advocacy and your own passion. Are you emotional? Are you getting a little emotional? Tell me about that. Yeah, no, I'm not so emotional because this is kind of a day-to-day thing in our household. They're all using their brains and they're all understanding that this equity is quite necessary. My husband is part of this also. So I'm not so emotional because, um, yeah, this is an ongoing thing. This is an ongoing thing. Uh, Tell us a little bit about yourself, Madhvi, how you got into the space of menstrual justice, which you are one of the people who's changing so many lives. So you've gone from that first time story. Now fast forward to your entry into this space and why you thought it was important for you. You know, Janet, my background is not so interesting. So I'm a pharmacist (laughs) by profession, really boring in a, you know, in a farm. We owned a pharmacy in Wales. But when I moved to Kenya, I, I actually was still qualifying to be a pharmacist. So I was just, you know, at home, not doing too much. And so, um, because I'm also yoga instructor and dance instructor, I used to travel in the slums to more or less the same schools, just teaching them yoga, mindfulness, etc. And after doing that for almost a year and a half, that's when I found this, there was a rapport with me and the girls, and the girls were like, oh, you know, she's not sick, she's actually missing school because of period. And that was really alien to me, because where I come from, you know, my husband would go to Tesco and with the groceries just buy a pack of pads, and you don't, don't overthink that one. So when I started trying to understand, okay, this is a problem. So how big is it? What is it? Why is it? You know, and where is it happening? So I traveled and I realized that urban slum problem was quite different to the rural Kenya problem. And so I was just trying to get facts and interviewing people. You know, some things I really, where I really came face to face with period poverty was when the women, the street women in Eldred were saying, they would go through other people's trash to look for used pads just so that they can go and wash somebody's clothes for a couple of hours, you know. Or in Tarakanidi where they, the girls compete with goats for leaves. You know, um, weird and wonderful stories about, you know, mattresses and things, obviously. But I was one particular area, which I will never forget, I was, um, we were documenting, we were, we were videoing in a slum in Nairobi, in an orphanage, and we were going through the usual questions, where do you get your pads? And one of the girls said, here. And I said, no, you don't get it here because, you know, we provide the unga and the grains here, so I know they don't have that kind of budget here. So she said she got it from here from a teacher. And she was speaking Kiswahili, and I needed to be authentic. So I said, okay, walk me through this. This is a very humble orphanage. I want to know if this is a true story. And so when she was walking me through this, I remember how I felt. And she goes through it month on month. And ultimately, she was giving sexual favors to a teacher every month. And she ended that conversation by saying, depending on the quality of sex, she gets one or two pads. And that really brought me down to ground. And I said, you know, we work with child protection. Can we help you here? And she said, Nikosawa, you know, I have food, water and shelter. And that really brought in perspective. You know, when I'm in Nairobi complaining about traffic or hot water or something, and I really realized that this is a woman-to-woman issue. You know, this is not even about her dignity anymore. This is just way beyond. This is survival. So I thought I needed to do something. I just didn't know what. I knew that if I started giving out disposable pads, which is a great solution, I just would not be able to sustain myself, you know. Logistically, how do I get, or, or even if I'm supplying, how do I meet those demands month on month? So then I had to do some 
thinking and uh, you know I spoke to some friends in Singapore how they do it in places like Philippines and so we came up with this whole project. And how long ago was that? That was only four years ago and, wow. and how we started was very different to how we are at the moment yeah. Um, so trans tell us a little bit about that journey and also now how you, you brought in Niati and your family to essentially stand as menstrual champions. So you see when this started four years ago the kids were still quite young and I used to go and educate. The reason why I educated because I have a little bit of a benefit because I'm from the medical background. So I could bring in this MHM and the anatomy, infections etc quite easily into my career and also um, when I used to bring it home, you see, my kids used to go to a private school in Nairobi. And when I came home, I really just could not digest that, you know, this is the discrepancy going on in Kenya. And how can I justify and how can I actually sustainably carry on life like this, living two different lives? So that's how I started bringing my kids in, saying that, you know, if you really must live in your bubble, then you at least help yourself within the community. Just be part of it. And so Nieti found her own um niche she likes to empower she has this mantra which she likes to empower and and help people feel good or feel powerful so she helps with that and now that she knows and she's made that video she knows how to have the self-help tips about if you have a headache or backache what would you do or you know meditation clips that she <coughs> sends out and so i think the whole uh, equation in the house is coming in uh, nicely because they help each other the kids help each other yeah and that's what matters uh Nyati, how does it feel for you to be first of all on a platform like this with with your mom and to be able to just use your voice to create change how does that make you feel well i did make a video on my first period and um, I shared it to the class yesterday, and I got an award. Wow. Good for you. Thank you. And what's, what, what's your favorite part about being with your mom when she's doing the work that she does? Um, I like helping out. Yeah. And speaking to the girls. And I also do this affirmation that my mom does. And I think you know it. I'd love to hear it from you. Do you want to say it? Do you want to share your affirmation? Go ahead. I am. I love myself. I am powerful. I can give. I can receive. And I can change. Oh, so I think it's amazing that you do this. Uh, take us again to the impact of your work. And especially speaking from a perspective of you've seen the journey of menstrual health in Kenya. You've seen the policies, the launches, all of this. But how does that relate to what's happening on the ground. Do you think there's actually been change or what's one of your biggest concerns? So I think the policy was a good, you know, it's, it's a good milestone for Kenya as a country. Um, and I don't think there was going to be any magic just because of the policy, you know, no, nothing was just going to change immediately. But I do think it kind of institutionalized the whole concept. And also now it's systemic. So now there are standards, for example, there are protocols in place. So all that is good. In my opinion, I've had a good experience because, you know, there was a big thing that we actually opened a factory in the Langata prison. So that that was probably never thought of before. And it actually, you know, it articulated itself and it's now there and functioning. So that's a big milestone. However, I do think that even though um, many people are talking about it, many MHM champions are mushrooming, I think what we do need to do is really break the silence as a community at large, you know, and through all the sectors, the private, the stakeholders, through education and through all sectors, we need to break the silence and to make sure that boys, men, teachers are all part of this conversation. When I go to workshop in wherever, in a school, if I tell a headmaster that I'm coming, 95% of them will say, no, 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 
the boys are not going to be with you, only the girls. And I always say, I am going to come only when you say that the boys and girls will be in the same room. It's my job. It's my duty to make them comfortable. And that's when I find that the boys actually have more questions because suddenly there's some light on something which is not talked about. They have fun. Um, they're informed. And then my whole idea is to make you know, a platform which is safe. So when I leave, that they can still have peer-to-peer -peer conversations without teasing and you know, without, you know, without anything which is negative. Um, it also empowers girls to celebrate, which means that if they have any conversations from ignorance, which are stemming from ignorance or sexism, they can actually advocate for themselves. You know, there's a good, a great one. I say when I'm teaching them how to um, dry the pads, for example, I say, you know, what if you're drying and somebody, some Mze comes and says, what will you do? And so they give me all these other solutions and say, yes, you can say all you can. That is a solution of drying it maybe indoors or something. But you can tell a gentleman that the reason why he's on this planet is because his mum menstruated. Mm -hmm. And so that is my power. And what do you think that gap is? Because what you've just spoken to is a similar experience I've had before, you know, having community champions and leaders embrace the conversation. Yet you still go somewhere else and it's almost like they've never heard of it before. Where do you think that gap is? The challenges are that the people who are making these decisions, the leadership, are non-menstruators, i.e. men. And so when they're building that toilet for women workers, are they really thinking it through that this is what she or he will or, or she will need or the menstruator will need? And then also in the school, the same kind of thing. You know, when girls have to queue a 30 at a time just during recess, they have no privacy, etc., etc. Are you really thinking this through? And so if it is what you're saying that once we have this policy, it should become a legal thing that this is what needs to be in place, like a license, this is what you should have in place for it to be a functionality. If you are giving out products, please give it with information, mm -hmm. okay? Third one, wash facilities. Again, they should be up to standard. And the fourth one is if we can um, train community health workers with accurate information, because the information going out there needs to be standardized also. Once we have that in stepwise, I think we're on our way to, to actually, you know, in my opinion, it can take just one generation to 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 make this happen. Yeah. yeah, those are very good recommendations you've given. I have one or two more questions. One of them, I'd like to touch a little bit on sustainability. <laughs> Reusable products, um, for many across the board, they'd say that is the answer. Yet there is the issue of things like access to water, access to hygiene. Tell us about that experience and how you can mobilize more people to think sustainable. If the girl has enough water to wash her underwear, she should have enough water to wash the pad. We, the way we designed our, our pads, I can only speak for us, is that we have tried to make it so that very little water is used, but you have to try and maintain hygiene. And so we have the whole education with it. That pad is not delivered until that girl is informed on how to use it. Also, in terms of, for the people who are deciding, you know, what we have consumerism, right? A disposable pad is white. Why is it white? You know, so many people say, but are your, are your reusable pads sterile? Well, a disposable pad is not sterile. Just because it's white, it doesn't make, mean it's sterile, you know. The simple thing is that you just need to make sure your, the microbes are not there. And if you're using alternatives like a mattress, for example, is that really dirty or is that clean? And if you're using a reusable pad, you're probably better off using something which is reusable pad rather than a mattress. Mm -hmm. If you look at Niati five years from now, um, yourself, where do you, what do you hope to be doing 
in terms of this conversation? What do you hope to be telling other girls or boys your age? Um, for the girls, um, that it's okay to get your period. Um, I'll still talk to the girls about periods and I'll still do my affirmation and that's it. Yeah, I think you're going to change a lot of lives, Niati. And I mean, just well done. Well done for being a girl who believes in talking about these issues. You should be very proud of yourself. And I think I'll take the chocolate in your kit after this. (laughs) And what about you? Your hope for five years from now, what do you want menstrual justice to look like? I think for me, menstrual justice is, uh, like you said, a holistic one, right? So what we need to make sure is that we're starting at home, and those conversations are happening at home because we don't want what happened in Bomet to happen ever in, in a, anywhere. And please be that advocate to say, this is right for me and I'm going to stick with it. And if you do that, automatically these conversations will start, these choices will be more healthy. We need to tackle as a human right. And so, yes, setting a budget is great. And yes, it's going to help. Advocacy is going to help. But what are you able to do at your home level to really change this? And I think in one generation, if we all embraced it, we could make, you know, we could eradicate it. Eradicate it. That's so profound. Finally, before you go, talk to parents about how they can have this conversation with their daughters and their sons, just with their children. I think we should not overthink this. We should not really bring in the stigma into our, our door. Basically, that girl... Well, that menstruator would need support. Are you there for support? Are you there to say, okay, uh, I'll take you to the shop. You know, what do you want to buy? Or do you have a backache or headache? As a dad, especially, you should be able to. And every single member of the family, whether it's a grandmother or not, let's try and at least celebrate this so that we're not just bringing in and um, uh, and firing up stigma because this is just unnecessary. The reason why we're all on this planet is because someone somewhere menstruated, right? So we just need to accept it and celebrate it. Thank you. Thank you both so much for everything you're doing in this space. Thank you, Nyati. It's such an honor to have you in the space. And one day you'll probably be hosting this kind of program with everything that you're doing. So thank you. And thank you, Madhvi, for your continued allyship. It's amazing. Thank you both.